haven't seen it, Google on YouTube. Um, it is an incredible um, viewing. Um, during the resurrection, you can see the guy lying in the coffin, like breathing, and he's dead. Um, and despite his overacting, this pastor is now up for, for, for fraud charges. Um, when, when I first heard about it, I was livid. I was really angry. I'm like, this guy is giving pastors in the name of Christ a bad name. Because people look at him and they go, how can we believe in Jesus? This guy's a fraud and all he wants is people's money. And so I was really quite, quite angry. Um, but I love the book of John that we're studying. And we've been studying for the last three weeks. Because it shows that Jesus is not a fraud. As we've been studying, we've seen that Jesus performed many signs, not just one supposed resurrection. He performed many signs. He made many claims about himself. Um, we see that John says that all of these signs were recorded that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so he writes about seven main signs he focuses on. He shows that Jesus changed water into wine, that he heals the official son, he healed the paralytic, he feeds the 5,000, he walks on water, he opens the eyes of a blind man. And all of this evidence begins to stack up and stack up and stack up. And it brings the book of John to a tipping point. And then we have this seventh sign. And in John, the people are constantly brought to a reaction. Will they believe or will they disbelieve? And so then we have what Lynn read about, the resurrection of Lazarus. And it brings the book of John to a tipping point. It is the final, not the final sign because Jesus continued doing signs, but it is a pivotal sign that brings the book to a tipping point and everything else happens in the end as a result of this. It's the catalyst for the rest of the book. And the controversy around Jesus' signs and his claims gets brought to a head through this miracle. Now, it's one of my favorite miracles in Scripture because you're in a place of incredible hopelessness, heartbrokenness, loss, and despair. And the light of Jesus dawns into this miracle. I try to imagine myself in this place, and, and I ask you to think perhaps of a loved one that you've lost. And I think of myself next to the coffin of a friend who died in a tragic car accident. I was 16, he was 19, and I'm standing with his sister, and I picture Jesus coming and saying, Christopher, get out of that coffin. And he rises up, and the shock and the joy, because we all were just so heartbroken, we did have joy because we knew that he had spiritual life forever and ever. But in that moment, if Jesus had stepped in, that is the moment that Martha and Mary experienced and the mourners around them. A man who'd been dead for four days came alive again. This is very significant because in ancient times there was a suspicion that the soul stayed with the body for three days and then departed. And so if Jesus raised him on the fourth day, this wasn't just a mere resuscitation. Jesus raised him from dead to life. And this miraculous sign performed by Jesus brought the people of that time and you and I to a pivotal moment, a tipping point. Will we believe or won't we? Will we believe that Jesus is God and he demonstrates that he is God 
by the divine power and authority that he has over life and death. You know, if, if a couple of months ago that pastor really had brought someone back to life, we would have all said, by what power did he do this? Was it demonic or was it from God? None of us can stop death. None of us can prevent it or, or reverse the effects of death. And so we all know that God must be involved in this act. And so when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it points to his divine almighty power over life and death. In John, Jesus regularly uses uh, a physical thing to symbolize a spiritual truth. And so we see in John chapter 4, when he speaks about water, he shows that our spiritual thirst can be quenched in him, our living water. In John chapter 6, when he feeds the 5,000 with bread, he shows that our Uh, spiritual hunger can be satisfied in him, the bread of life. And here in John chapter 11, he shows through the physical resurrection of Lazarus's body that he can help us break free from the bonds of spiritual death and give us the gift of eternal life. We humans, due to our sinful nature, and we're spiritually dead. We're trapped in a tomb of sin, of unforgiveness, We're separated from God and we're in spiritual darkness. But in this miracle, Jesus gives such a visual picture that we can become spiritually alive. We can be set free from lives that are in bondage to sin and spiritual death. Over and over in in the book of John, we see that if we believe in Jesus, we can receive eternal life. Now, what is this eternal life? Well, in the New Testament, the Greek word is ionios, and it has the idea of quality as well as quantity life. The quantity of life here is that Jesus being the resurrection means that those who have been spiritually resurrected, even though they die, they will live forever and ever. Quantity of life. And this is possible because not only did Jesus raise Lazarus from the death, But we'll see next Sunday, Jesus himself rose from the dead and shows that he has victory over death. But eternal life isn't just something believers in Jesus have to wait for. It's something we can experience now. Eternal life begins the moment a person exercises faith in Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. The present tense is there in the Greek as well, has Those who've believed in Jesus right now experience eternal life. John 17 shows that eternal life is experienced in the person of Jesus. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so as you and I know and believe in Jesus right here and now, we can step out of a bad quality of life from hopelessness and fear and guilt and shame, sinfulness, dissatisfaction, brokenness, and we can enjoy a new quality of life, brand new quality of life, where we were awakened spiritually, where we know his love, his forgiveness, contentment, wholeness, and a peace with God. And this is found in Jesus. Right now we can experience by knowing him a quality of life, and in the future, a quantity of life that will never end. 
at the age of seven, I, I received this gift of, gift of eternal life. Um, one night we were, we were sitting around the dinner table and my mom and dad and I were chatting and my dad shared that, you know, to go to heaven and, and not to go to hell and to be with Jesus, I needed to confess my sins, I needed to give my life to Jesus and to follow him. And so I was very fearful of going to hell and so prayed and said to my dad, please pray with me. So my dad and I prayed and I confessed my sins and I gave my life to Jesus And to this day, I'm so thankful to God. He gave me, after that prayer, such a sense of peace and joy and just an awareness of his presence in my life that I'd never felt before. But as I look back on that seven-year-old little girl, I know that my main reason was the quality, quantity of life part of eternal life. I didn't want to go to hell, and I made that decision out of fear not a loving relationship with Jesus. But as I've got to know him more and more, my quality of life has been so good. The meaning, the satisfaction. I'm not an orphan, I'm accepted. I'm not alone to face difficulties. And even in hard times in life, I have his presence and his joy. And so Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead to demonstrate that he is God and that he is the resurrection and the life. He can free us from spiritual death and give us eternal life forever and ever. And the question this morning for all of us is, do we believe in him for that quality and quantity of life that he offers? I think many of us here may have trusted him like I did for quantity life. You know, in heaven one day, But right now, we're not enjoying that quality of life because we're following our own will and our own way or because we've forgotten that he is so powerful, he can bring somebody back from death and our problems are consuming us and so our quality of life is being robbed of us. And so today, Jesus asks you, do you believe in me? You know, Jesus can bring life over all dead situations in our lives, over that cash flow, over that relationship, over your depression or your addiction. And so we're at a tipping point, and we need to choose this morning whether we will believe or disbelieve that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The story also causes us to question our belief about other things we can know Jesus, knowing him is eternal life. Other things we can know about Jesus. Jesus asks, will you believe that I love you deeply? So much so that I gave my life. In the story, it's very clear that Jesus loves Lazarus and these sisters. The passage says, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Jesus, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And Jesus even says, our friend Lazarus. The, 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 the chapter before, chapter 11, chapter 10 ends with Jesus leaving Jerusalem because the Jewish leaders there wanted to stone him. And um, he had said, I and the Father are one, and so it's another claim that he is God. And so they were angry and picked up stones. Jesus got away with his disciples and went far away from Jerusalem. And while he's far away from Jerusalem, he gets the message, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so when he tells his disciples, guys, we're going back to Judea, 
they are a bit terrified because they know that Jesus was going to be killed there. But Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He even loved his enemies and you and I so much that he went back to this incredibly dangerous place, knowing ultimately it would, last, it would cost him his life. And so Jesus demonstrates an intense and immense love for you and I. But the sad thing is, is that many of us look for love in different places, different sexual partners, parental acceptance and approval. Uh, we shapeshift to fit in with friends. But none of these loves will satisfy us like the love of Jesus, the perfect love of Jesus. And many of us feel that, well, God just doesn't love me. Uh, the hardship that I'm facing, he doesn't love me, or I'm not good enough, I don't measure up. I've often felt that I don't measure up, and I've often said to God, show me that you love me. And I felt this quiet whisper say, look at the cross. Jesus says to us, I've demonstrated my love for you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So this morning, will you believe this immense love and experience it for yourself? Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. You can know that. He says, I have loved you deeply. You can know that. And then he asks, will you believe that I have deep empathy? In the story, we once again see that Jesus has deep empathy. I think many of us feel that when we're in a situation of loss and pain and incredible difficulty, that God is up in heaven, far removed, separated from us, watching from a distance. But this passage shows that that's a lie. Jesus is right there with Mary and Martha, sharing in their pain. And he even weeps with them. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And so he wept. And so he has deep compassion for them and, and performs the miracle. If you are going through a dark time of, of grief or depression or suffering, financial stress, the pain of a loss, may you be encouraged this morning because this scripture tells you that Jesus sympathizes with your weakness, your brokenness, your pain, even your sin. You're not alone and you don't have to carry it alone. I've just finished reading a book by... Uh, uh, the wife of the shooter at the Amish schoolhouse in 2002. This man goes into a schoolroom of children and he kills five schoolgirls and injures five others and then shoots himself. And you would think this book would be just a, a tragedy. But the book is full, it's actually called uh, One Light Still Shines. And it's full of the light and presence of God in tangible ways with this woman. He gives her words of encouragement, people, gifts, her and her children. Right in the midst of her pain, his light dawns in that darkness. Jesus says we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as he, we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus empathizes with you and my pain. You know, when we're heartbroken, we tend to only look at what God is not doing. 
But the antidote to heartbrokenness is to look for the presence in Jesus in your suffering and to look at what he is doing, the good that he is working for you. So Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I love you deeply. I empathize in your pain. And then he asks another question. Will you believe that I have a greater purpose when I delay? Mary and Martha, they they fully believed in this Jesus who walked on water, who healed the blind man, who raised the official son. They probably even saw a couple of those miracles. And so they believed he can bring Lazarus off the sickbed. But would they believe Jesus when he delayed? Because they, um, they sent Jesus the message, and the scripture says he stayed where he was two more days. And sadly, in those two days, Lazarus died. And unlike you and I, Mary and Martha didn't know the end of the story. And so they must have been saying to themselves, why, why hasn't Jesus come? Where is he? Doesn't he love us? Doesn't he care about us? And some of the neighbors even said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And the sisters even asked Jesus on separate occasions, and they said to him, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And so they believed in the Lord for a miracle in sickness, but could they believe in the Lord when the situation was dead? And many of us are in desperate situations. Um, A marriage that is breaking up, uh, a child who is sick or rebellious, business or personal financial crisis. And we may be like the sisters, must be wondering, God, where are you? Why have you allowed this to happen? You could have stopped this. Why are you folding your arms when in the Bible you performed so many miracles? But the one great thing we can learn from this miracle is that the very nature of God is that when he delays, he is doing something greater. His purpose is greater. Jesus says, when he explains of Lazarus' death, he says, for God, this is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And so this devastating death resulted in God doing something far greater than just bringing Lazarus, healing him from his sickness. And so if you're sitting here today and you're going, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Be encouraged. God has a greater good in mind. Maybe it's a miracle, but maybe it's you depending on him in a greater way than never before. Maybe there's something spiritual he's trying to do that you can't see. As many of you know, we've been trusting for my dad's farm to be sold Uh, It feels like it's been on my prayer list for about seven or eight years. And last year, I trusted God to sell it at the auction. And God didn't. Right now, they're buyers and they've got no money. They've signed an agreement and have got no money. God is delaying. But with God's help, I'm choosing to trust him that he is a greater good. And I'm wanting to worship while I wait. And so this this resurrection story of Lazarus in chapter 11, it brings the book of John and you and I to a tipping point. John says that he recorded the signs in this book so that we might believe. And in chapter 12, we see lots of responses, 11 and 12, we see responses of belief and disbelief. And in the last couple of minutes of the sermon, 
I'm not going to cover everything in chapter 12, so I encourage you to go home and read it. It's so rich. But I just want to cover the results of the belief and disbelief. Firstly, we see the result of the disbelief. The religious leaders of that time, they they were really bad spiritual leaders because even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still didn't believe in him. In the Bible, we see that you need three witnesses for something to be true. In John chapter 5, Jesus shows there's a testimony of three people, John the Baptist, the Father through all the signs he enables Jesus to perform, and Scripture that all testify and witness to the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is God. The Pharisees heard all of this. They had conversations, yet their hearts were hard, their eyes were blind, and their ears were deaf. They wouldn't understand. And ultimately, their belief led to death. Because they were threatened by Jesus that he was going to mess up the temple system, which was their financial system, just by the way. um, That he was going to mess up their, their way of life. And so a threat needed to be eradicated. And so the rest of the book outlines Jesus' death after Lazarus' resurrection. But sadly, it doesn't just result in Jesus' death. Jesus asks all of us, do you believe this? Their answer was no. And so ultimately they lost out on a quality and quantity of life with Jesus forever. But the good news is that in chapter 12, many choose to believe. And their result is praise. And you'll see that's why we've left most of the worship for the end of the service. We want to praise Jesus. Mary and Martha, Mary brings a lavish dinner to Jesus to praise him. Martha pours out perfume on the feet of Jesus to praise and thank him for what he did for Lazarus. The news about Jesus and about the resurrection of Lazarus, it spreads far and wide. And so we see that people went out to meet him. And we see that others said, we'd like to see Jesus. And it culminates in a crowd coming to Jerusalem and shouting hosannas, laying their garments on the ground with palm leaves, believing that Jesus is the one who will save. So many believed in him. And today you and I are brought to a defining moment. In hearing about all the signs and wonders in this first few chapters of John, hearing about all the claims that Jesus has made about himself, that he is the resurrection and the life. In him saying, I love you deeply. I empathize with you. When I delay, it's for a greater good. Jesus asks you today, will you believe? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? When we do, when we choose, I will believe. I will believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Our whole life will tip to a quality and quantity of life. Today and on into the future. Let's close with a prayer of praise and some worship. We just want to praise you so much, Jesus, that you have power over death. 
that you bring us a quantity and a quality life that nothing else can. Out of the darkness, we step into your eternal life here and forever and ever into the future. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving so many of us eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray.